Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We are in the book of Titus, another short book of Paul's. Uh, we'll finish it this week. Um, and it, like the previous two we saw, looks at the issue of, or not the issue, but looks at the pastoral epistles. First, Second Timothy and Titus are the three pastoral epistles of Paul, um, where Paul is writing to his young protégés um, as he's passing the baton of ministry uh, from one generation to the next. And so these three books are preached from often in seminary chapel um, and uh, are, are influential works uh, for the training of ministry, but also in how, we, how it is we have to understand how the church functions. So uh, anything we have in the church that's not in the Bible, for the most part, we, 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 we should uh, seek, seek to avoid. And these three books are um, critical in our understanding of church offices, uh, uh, church ministry, worship, uh, how to handle conflict, all, all of that stuff. Well, of, of Paul's uh, letters, Titus 1 has one of the longer uh, greetings. Uh, it's, it's three verses long before he, he even mentions who, who it is that he's writing to. Uh, typically, it's Paul, an apostle, Lord Jesus Christ, Timothy, our brother, uh, to the church in Corinth. Uh, grace and peace to you, right? That's essentially what they all are. Uh, they're, they're pretty brief. Here is much longer. Uh, for the sake of time, we, we won't be looking at the greeting. I think I did an entire sermon just on the greeting. Uh, I've done an entire series on Titus when I was an interim pastor in, in uh, Falls Rough. But um, I want to instead look at uh, the meat of the book where Paul begins with leadership. He does something similar in First Timothy uh, where uh, appointing good leaders is vital to a healthy church. Look, here, here's the reality is, although you need a um, a pastor who can lead and love, um, you also need a good structure of leaders that regardless of what may happen to the pastor, um, um, the the church will continue and the church can function. Uh, so you really, really need, need both. And also your pastor needs um, a solid uh, structure uh, for him uh, and for the work of ministry. And so this is where Paul begins. In verse 5, so this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put uh, what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Timothy is in Ephesus, um, um, Titus is in Crete, which is a, a small island uh, in, uh, in Europe. Um, it is Crete where Paul, um, near the end of Luke, actually lands. He shipwrecks there. Uh, it's where he, he gets bitten um, on the hand by a viper, right? And then they start thinking he's a god because he, he doesn't die from it. He, you know, the poison doesn't affect him. Um, um, and uh, Cretus is a, a still place where, where we have missionaries uh, being there even now. But uh, Titus is there to appoint elders in, at, at each church. And, and with that command comes uh, Paul laying out what to expect of an elder, what was a qualification of an elder. And this list is very similar to the list we saw in 1 Timothy. So I don't want to spend forever on all of the details. You can go back on that devotion and see some of that. So we see uh, he must be above reproach. The husband and one wife, I'll, I'll remind you here as we did First Timothy, the language is actually one woman man. So I, to me, that, that includes single guys um, because single guys are still one woman man. Um, but uh, so long as they are, you know, no, not guilty of fornication, so something like that. Um, but the husband and wife, uh, one woman, man, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, we could translate that elder or bishop, um, essentially the uh, same meanings there, uh, as God's steward must be above reproach. 
He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict him. So his qualification for, for elders here is their character must be uh, that of godliness, uh, their home must be a priority, um, and uh, they must lead with love, uh, and they must teach sound doctrine willingly to um, reproach um, and, and exhort those who err, whether in doctrine or in, in life. Uh, so so it, you can see here that, that, that you don't just choose deacons and elders based off of popularity or because they give a lot to the church or because everyone thinks they're in the next in line. That, that's, that's not... How, how, how this works. One of the tests, I actually mentioned this in yesterday morning's sermon, one of the, the tests I think for a deacon is are they already doing the role of a deacon? You shouldn't expect someone to uh, fulfill that role only after they've received a title, uh, but rather they willingly serve in any way that they are asked um, regardless of title. And, and knowing that even if they didn't receive the title of deacon or elder, they would still serve faithfully. That's the sort of person you're looking for, assuming they have all the godly characteristics and, and willing to, to exhort. So you see here uh, the, the, the vital importance of this. And can I add just, just one little footnote? I, I like to do this occasionally when, when we look at this passage, um, because there's not a lot of other places to, to do this. I've been a lot of... Um, I've been on search committee. I've been interviewed by search committees. And, and we talk a lot about qualifications of a pastor or elder, whatever. Um, but but there, there's this church office, this church row, if you will, um, that we assume that isn't actually biblical, and this will probably get me in trouble, but I'll, I'll be okay. And that is the, the role of the pastor's wife. Um, that is nowhere in the Bible. Uh, and, and, and thus, um, the expectation of a pastor's wife is equal to the expectations of any and every wife, mother, and woman in the church. Um, I always like to tell a story when my wife and I were dating, and uh, I was uh, trying to figure out exactly what my calling was. I, uh, I still remember the first time I preached, I don't remember what I preached on, I doubt it was worth 10 cents, uh, that, that she actually sat through. Um, she, she came later and said, I don't know if we could ever get married with you being a pastor because I don't know how to play the piano. And uh, she just assumed that in, in, a, in a Southern Baptist church that the preacher preaches and, and his wife plays the piano. Um, and, and I assured her I would never ask her uh, to do that. If, if she didn't want to do that, she don't. And, and so what, what, but what we've done, uh, and the reason there's, there's humor in that story is because there's an element of truth that she was experiencing in that we have placed unbiblical expectations on pastor wives um, that are based off of local church tradition rather than the Bible itself. Uh, and so uh, each pastor's wife is different because each pastor's wife is different. Um, some are more uh, background, some are more foreground, and, and the issue is are they using their, their gifts and talents and their spiritual qualifications for the good of the local church? Um, and um, so are they godly women, mothers, wives? And it's the same expectation we have on, on everyone else. Well, you will either share that with your pastor, or your, or the pastor will share it with others, or you'll all just um, 
Rick Retta even brought it up. But I do think it is worth raising. Um, and whenever I'm interviewed uh, or was interviewed at, at for a church, uh, I always brought that up uh, because we needed to know um, what unbiblical expectations that we, we needed to navigate, particularly in that issue. But you'll notice that, that he gives qualification of elders, um, not so that uh, every once in a while the church can have an uh, a excuse for another fellowship meal in the back, but, but it's because there was a great need for it. And although I don't want to take time to read all of it, but, but verses 10 to 16 is kind of harsh to read uh, because Paul says there are people within the church that need to be dealt with. And he uses strong language for it. I want to pick up uh, in verse 13, uh, just for the sake of time and, and, uh, and for other reasons. It says, Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And this, this call to rebuke people is a big no-no today. Chances are you or someone you know stopped going to that church over there because someone called you out on something. And chances are good for that church. Now, now to rebuke is, does not mean to be a jerk, right? And, and often we mishandle uh, rebuking people. Uh, but we see this is, this is very, very important, that there is an expectation that our members would be would be faithful members of the local church and, and, and attend regularly and that we would live godly lives for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel and that we will tell other people about Jesus. And for some reason, it's controversial when these expectations are, are, are held to, to account. Um, but all we're doing is, is saying that Jesus is worth it and Jesus is the head of this church and is the head of your life. And so, it, so in choosing deacons and elders, why this is such an important issue, you are welcoming leaders in the church that you are entrusting your soul to. So this isn't a small deal, but rather they must hold us all accountable as they are held accountable by the church, yes. They must hold us accountable. So notice that they will rebuke sound of faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Uh, uh, the Judaizers was a real problem in Crete, apparently. Um, and one of the issues was was these these myths. And if you ever study uh, Jewish history, particularly the uh, rabbinical writings, you're going to get a lot of these myths. So um, if, if you've been teaching the Bible uh, at all, uh, people have asked you the same sort of questions we've been asked thousands of years. The most prominent one is probably, where did Cain get his wife, right? Well, um, if you read the rabbinical uh, literature, uh, Book of Jubilees and others, there's all kinds of answers to that. Um, and um, it's not found in the Bible. And what you have is, you, you have the Jewish text, yes, but out of that comes all these myths and traditions and, 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 and legends and whatnot that then take a life of their own and start to shape um, uh, the Judaizers' theology. And Paul says, don't have anything to do with that nonsense. Um, um, because they turn people away f from, from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. I read that nothing is pure, and all I can think of is woke theology right now. That everyone in the past uh, are evil, and you shouldn't read a history book um, um, or a biography because they're all evil and you're a terrible person for actually respecting the dead. Um, and everything that's ever been tried or done, particularly in the United States, is evil and wrong. And, and if you disagree with me, you're not woke and you are part of the problem, right? Um, um, but I don't think that's what Paul's getting there. That's what sticks up in my mind. And then verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. 
Um, and, and, and that's key to Paul. This is Paul, Jesus saying, uh, you'll know a tree by its fruit. If it's rotten fruit, it's a rotten tree. If it's good fruit, it's a good tree. Uh, that's essentially what Paul is saying here. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And when's the last time um, you saw someone rebuked like this in, in church? It won't work in our feminine society, will it? And that's to our great shame. Because the church has bought into a wrong ideology. And look at the state of the churches today. Maybe that's why. Well, Lord willing, I'll see you guys here tomorrow. We'll look at Titus chapter 2.